Houston is hot, but the people are cool. You're in Rhonda's Lounge listening to Artist of Houston podcast. Stick around, it's gonna be great. Today I have a really special guest artist who has been around for a bit of time. We used to be studio neighbors in Winter Street and she's still there. Miss Betsy Evans is with me today. She is a ceramicist extraordinaire and I know it's going to be a great talk. So listen up. I'm really excited today. I have a friend and a guest, Betsy Evans, on the podcast. I've been bugging the heck out of her to come on the podcast. <laughs> so we finally sat down to do it today in her studio in Winter Street in Sawyer Yards. And I'm super happy that you were able to come and talk to me, Betsy. Well, thank you for inviting me. I yeah. really appreciate it. Betsy is a dynamic personality. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> I don't know about dynamic, that. Dynamic personality, strong, vibrant woman. I just have admired you from the get-go. It may have been that you were, when I first met you, when I went, oh, I like her. I think it was probably when you were maybe bitching about something. <laughs> but I was like, oh, that's good. We're sitting in her beautiful studio in Winter Street. And I'm going to start with the question I usually ask everyone. Okay. Did you go to art school? And how did you become the ceramicist extraordinaire that you are today? A ceramicist? Well, did I go to art school? I kind of got on art just by by accident. I was in college up at the University of Maine and I was an athlete, I was a swimmer. And um, I didn't have time to take you know, classes like that or I never did. And then I stopped swimming after a couple of years in college and took a printmaking class. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I did, you know, and I took a couple of years of printmaking and really enjoyed it. So I started out with printmaking. I have no, I don't remember any of my printmaking skills and I don't have any of my plates, but I started there. But really, I noticed I was more of a hands-on person. And so after college, I worked at a history museum in Portsmouth, New Hampshire with mm -hmm. a bunch of, um, I was initially a docent. So I would walk around at Strawberry Bank, which was established in 1630. Mm -hmm. And all of the houses were, it was different from something like Starbridge or Plymouth where they were locked in time. Strawberry Bank was showing this 10 acre um, establishment, which is Portsmouth now, but originally called Strawberry Bank, where people had settled. But each house was representing a different time period and a different circumstance. So you might work, you know, go into a house that was um, built and they're showing, showing people living in 1710 or so. And they'll talk about their social and economic and then show the restoration of the house. And then the next house you might go into would be representing a family from 1860. So I would go and I would talk about these houses to dress up as this woman named Martha Wilwright. Her husband died out at sea in, in 1781, and I learned how to cook in an open hearth. So I would build the fire, make the coals. I would even go get the apples in the orchard and make apple pies, and everything Everything that I cooked had to be what was accessible in Portland. You actually did these things? Yeah, in 1781, and okay. I made sausage, and it, but it was only with what was available. But since it was a port, it had more than most. I got to know the carpentry crew and I ended up getting actually a pretty big crush on the head of the carpentry crew. And um, so I started working with them. 
and I helped restore a house, which was, you know, made to look as a 1950s Jewish grocery store. And these were real stories and real people. They weren't just made up. They weren't like, oh, I think we'll do it this house. So at that point, you know, I started learning how to um, roof and I drywalled for the first time. And then I started building things. I really noticed that I was more interested with working with my hands than I was maybe being in a more, um, you know, with printmaking where it's not as physical. Mm -hmm. I am a physical person, so in some ways it kind of brings my athleticism into my, my art because of my physicality. You know, I wasn't want much of a painter to sit and just paint. That mm -hmm. just yeah. isn't enough for me. So I moved out to New Mexico and lived in Taos County with all the crazy people. Then I got my certificate as an EMT. Whoa, okay. Yeah, I was an EMT for a while. Yeah, so I have some stories from that. I bet you do. Crazy people and EMTs and stuff. But when and you say crazy people, you mean the good kind of crazy, right? No, I'm joking. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, no, but there's both. Oh, I know. No, I mean both. I know. Yeah. I don't know if you spend much time in Taos County, but it's a lot of frou-frou. And, it's, you know, you've got your Latino population, who the Spanish who, you know, established into New Mexico, the Native American. And then you got all the white people that come out and, you know, and want to start their whole new life over again. Uh, you know, and there was a lot of communism at some point. You still have a lot of that there. Then I applied to go to school. I didn't go to an art school. I went to a craft school. Okay. Up in Portland, Oregon. Called Oregon College of Art and Craft, which unfortunately does not exist anymore. But I studied woodworking and I was there for, I lived in Portland for, gosh, four years. And I did that. And then I minored in jewelry. So I fabricated and made jewelry. Okay. For two years. Am I like a jack of all trades? But then I moved back down to Texas and I had this full woodworking shop and I made full bedroom sets and dining room tables and benches and chairs and all of them were designed by me and all handcuffed dovetails and mortise and tenon and all that sort of stuff. And I ended up having a baby and I got, and I was living an hour away in Waller County with a bunch of hicks, frankly scary you get out into the country of texas and it gets scary really fast yeah and i didn't want to have the baby out there too it was just so isolating and i hated my neighbors and they didn't like me either you know frankly it was a mutual relationship so i moved back in and i just stopped you know doing woodworking because mm -hmm. i didn't have the access to my stuff and i had this baby and i was raising her on my own so i was a bit overwhelmed so i got into ceramics because I was once again looking for that physicality, you know, mm -hmm. something to do. And Glissalle, which is a school in Houston, um, it's the Museum of Fine Arts School, um, had ceramics. And I was like, what the hell? I'll give it a shot. I took some classes there from Pillar in the ceramics community and really gregarious, large man named Bill Dennard, who had been in ceramics for 38 years, which was great because he was just a pool of knowledge. But at the same time, he was a bit burnt out. You know, he spent most of his time chatting with people. I think he was kind of tired of teaching. I took classes there and learned how to throw. Made some pretty ugly stuff, frankly. But, you know, to this day, I, I have people go, I have one of your pieces from Glissel. And I'm like, oh my God, why? But, you know. <laughs> 
they like it, so that's all that matters. I left there for personal reasons, and then I got a studio at Winter Street. Six. You're one of the originals. Yes, yes, I'm yes. one of the originals. I opened up Winter Street, and I got a studio. I mean, I took two years of ceramics, but I did not get a lot of instruction. Also, um, there were a lot of politics there that made me very, I finally left, it made me extremely uncomfortable. So I um, came here, I consider myself a self-taught ceramicist. All the stuff that I do, I, I figured out on my own. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. I really, I've taken a few workshops and then I opened up a gallery and I had a gallery for nine years. You jumped into. Yeah, yeah I really just jumped into it. I, in that gallery, I. Were you ever afraid of failing? Like you didn't know what? Well, I didn't know much about ceramics when I opened up a ceramics gallery. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You know, I knew people who I started showing their work who were seriously dedicated ceramics people and were, you know, ceramic geeks. And they're talking about these pillars in the, you know, this national ceramics community. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who they were. I had no idea. And they're like, you don't know who that is? No. You know? <laughs> I didn't know who a lot of people were. You didn't know what you didn't know, so you were free I, yeah. to do whatever. Yeah, and there is a, there's a psychological term for that. For oh, really? being so ignorant that you don't realize you're ignorant. Oh. Yeah, oh, God. That's the story yeah. of my life. Oh, my God. So um, I touched a lot of ceramics. I looked at a lot of ceramics. I learned about it from just jumping in and having these shows and inviting these artists to our to you know national artists and listening to them and touching ceramics opening up other people's boxes even down to how they pack their work mm. to you know really you know looking at how they make it and, and I probably in that gallery that we had called 18 hands I probably set up 200 shows Mostly on my own. Your shop was on 19th Street. 19th which Street is a in the Heights. Destination, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. In yeah, Houston. it's a destination place in, yeah. in, in Houston. Yeah. I mean, I could easily, you know, people would say, where's your shop, 19th Street? Okay, yeah. Got, got it. it. That was brave, too, man. You pick like the greatest location, too. Oh, yeah. You know, I did it with a, a couple other people, and they were really good administration-wise. I was the artist in there, and I was—I built all the walls in there, these movable walls, and mm. I built all the pedestals, and I designed the logo. And um, and did I did you know you were going to be an artist? I mean, it sounds like you. I thought I was going to. I thought I was going to be. I just thought I was a swimmer. When I mean, when I was a teenager, I yeah. was. I was a swimmer, you know, I had a sort of a tough childhood and um, swimming was my outlet yeah. and it really kind of saved my life. So it just never occurred to me that I'd be an artist. And even to this day, I'm just like, you know, what, what the hell am I doing? You know, does any of this really make any sense? I think all artists ask me <laughs> that though. That's a common thread. Well, I think if you're satisfied with what you're doing, then you might be plateauing. <laughs> That's right. And I was going to say satisfied. Wait a minute. What the hell are you talking about? You can't ever be satisfied. Yeah. 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 You're just, and you're always looking at stuff. I'm more than happy to, you know, crash half the shit that I make. <laughs> you know, get a hammer. No. <laughs> I understand, though. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take a knife to a canvas. Yeah. That'd be good. Okay. So a successful store, 18 hands. Right. 
ceramicist, you're becoming a known ceramicist in Houston at this point. Well, and then, you know, that's the thing that just amazes me. I mean, people know who I am, you know, and uh, not in just Houston and not in just Texas, but mm-hmm. because uh, we had that gallery and we've represented at any time over 200 artists. So, I mean, I feel like I could go anywhere in the country and know somebody and just walk into a community and not have any problems, you Mm -hmm. know? And so it was weird. At one point, I had more recognition nationally than I did locally Mm -hmm. because of the gallery. No, I mean, I've got such a great knowledge of ceramicists and have, you know, acquaintances or friends all over the country. I can't say that I'm just known in Houston. You know, I've worked very hard to be part of a national community. I got a little bit of that peering into that Texas Clay Festival, Mm -hmm. which took place in Mm -hmm. Green. I was amazed at the community and also the organization itself was very accommodating to the artist and the work that was there was outrageous. Like, I did not bring enough money to, to for all the things I wanted. It was really cool. We ended up with a conversation because there are a lot of ceramicists who are very much focused on functionality, and, and that's great, but you have moved away from that in a way. And let's talk about your goats, cogs, gears, mm-hmm. because that has taken over a big theme in your work. Right. Yeah, Yeah, um, my work is more, you know, it's definitely sculptural. You could also say that there is a lot of chatter in the clay community about functional and sculptural and things like that. You know, it has its politics like any other community. One of the things I love about the clay artist is the community is so welcoming. You could literally knock on the door of the most famous clay artist and they would let you in. You know, you know, you don't see that with like quote unquote fine painting and fine mm-hmm. art. There's a lot of accessibility to the rock stars and there's a lot of humility. What do you derive that from? What do you think? Is it about that tactile, that hands? I really think so. You know, I really there's think something so. I'm thinking this is the, like it's literally it's the earth. The earth. And yeah. so, I mean, it's a medium and I think the people who listen to your podcast need to know that I could go into any clay community and I would been. I mean, it would not be an issue. Um, I just don't see that sort of welcoming and opening and open arms in other mediums. Uh, my work started to become more narrative and it started to become, you know, sort of self-reflective. I've had a lot of health issues, some pretty serious health issues that really changed my work and my symbolism and my metaphors really are all about my health and my struggles and my triumphs that I've had through the course of going through seven diagnoses of cancer and I've lost two kidneys and I'm currently on dialysis and trying to get on a transplant list. This has all been in about four and a half years. It's um, been very traumatic but I've found my art to be a great outlet for it. So the goat symbolizes me and I see myself as a goat because they really persevere. Their ability to live anywhere in the world, Mm -hmm. which they do, and they will eat anything, they will continue 
to live and thrive. And at the same time, they're very playful. And I find myself to be a goat, which, you know, it's kind of interesting right now because this whole concept of the goat is uh, really hitting the sports. Uh, you know, they call uh, Tom Brady the goat because okay. it's, you know, an acronym, greatest of all time. Nike has just put out a line of shoes, the goat line. I kind of came up with this in my own, and but it just shows you, you know, it's hard to come up with an original idea, but you know, mm -hmm. at the same time, I am a goat. And it really started when I was on a trip in Wales. My dad and I were in this pub and they were looking, they revere the goat as the leader of their army. And so they, you know, embellish the goat and they take it down, you know, these little small towns and everyone cheers. There's so many references and symbols of goats all over the world because they live all over the world. So to me, it's just something that really does resonate with everybody. And it's amazing when people come in and they're like, goats, goats, you know, you know, and everyone seems to have, I'm surprised at how people have goat stories. You know, I just, it never occurred to me that people would have this attachment to goats, yes. but that makes it even more so, you know, it's so, I kind of have hidden my um, my physical problems into this, you know, goat and into my art. So when people come and see it, they just think that I like goats a lot, and I don't mind that. I, I am private, and I don't like sit around and talk about all you know all my shit. You know, they all think, oh, this looks so great in a children's room, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm making these goats on those rockers, and they're balancing these balls, and these balls are drum bones. Think about it. If you were actually that goat, that would suck. But it's playful and it looks fun and people think they're toys and, you know, and that sort of explains my whole feeling around all of my illness. I think it's interesting with works of art, though, that you have all the meaning behind it, but it's after it's created. Obviously, the viewer brings themselves to it and they have their own interpretations and they're like, they find it playful. I know one time someone said about my paintings, they were like, well, they're so soft and pretty. And I was like, how can that be? I'm so fucking uh, pissed off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what? You're making me think about that because it's part of you that you said you're a playful person. I believe that 100%. But that wasn't the intention, but it still birthed. Right itself right. that way. Well, see, I like the anonymity. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And then that's sort of what it is. And also, yeah. you're right, I like that um, I'm not super controlling of my work. Like, yeah. once it's gone, it's gone. I'm not, in fact, you know, I have another piece that's on my wall right now, and it's this huge curtain, and it's made of chains and balls and pendulums. I and love it. you can it. take it apart yeah. and put it back together again. And I've, I've displayed it in other places, and people installed it and they installed it and it's all in a bunch of pieces so when you take it apart and put it back together again it doesn't look like it did the first time uh -huh. and I don't care you know to me it's an interactive piece and if someone bought it I would be like okay well you know we're going to take it apart and we'll put it back together again and you know you can always move it around and do what you want with it because to me it's interactive and I let it go I'm not controlling that way and I don't once it's in their hands it's theirs but this piece is so cool. I'll try to have a picture on the podcast, but yeah. it's basically a chain, a curtain, chain curtain with the various colored 
balls and the pendulum. And it's about and what? It's what? Five feet wide and then it's about nine feet tall. Yeah, it's impressive. You had a show at the silos and it was a feature. Right. It was my you know, primary you know, piece. It was the showstopper. And it hung but from the ceiling, and it really worked out. But I think I like it on the wall better because if you put light onto it, you'll get some excellent, nice shadows to it. I, I like it on the wall better than in the middle of the space. Yeah. But I, you know, I have a lot of people come in and look at it. One day someone's going to say, I want it in my house, and it's going to look fabulous in somebody's mm-hmm. house. Yeah. So it's just a matter of time. How much time with everything going on? How much time are you able to be in your studio in my studio right now between the dialysis and my chemo brain because i just went chemotherapy um a little mushy and i'm trying to get a transplant list so what energy i have goes into walking and swimming because i need to stay strong to prove to the transplant people you look great thanks you know but i have to do a a nuclear um, stress test on wednesday and i've got to run on the treadmill and they consider me to be obese, by the way. <gasps> well, oh, fuckers. They you don't know, know I mean, I, I looked at the doctor. I was like, do I look obese? You're so tall, too. Like, get a grip. No, it's just, you know. I got to do the treadmill, but I've got to stay in shape yeah. for that. So that's really my priority. You're still a swimmer, too. Yeah, and I'm going to swim this afternoon. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, that's my priority. I mean, I, I'm still doing my art. I've got some, you know, stuff in a wood firing right now. Um, I'm going to be coming in. My priority at this point is staying strong and healthy. I've got four people who have volunteer kidneys, so I've just got to get through the transplant, jumping through the hoops, and then hopefully I'll get a kidney and I can heal, and then I can be full force. So I do still come into my studio, but not as much as I want to right now. Okay. Well, you got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And I thank you for the time you spent with me today. It's been great. Oh, you're welcome. I hope I, I know we could keep going, but I do watch Oh, yeah, the- I know. I could be a chatterbox. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. I love it. Just want to thank you so much for you're welcome. taking the time and telling me a little bit more. I learned something about you today, uh-huh. which I knew I would. So that's always good. That's always good. Great. Well, you're welcome. Anytime. Thank you, Betsy. And good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you so much, Betsy Evans, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate our honest conversation. It was really sweet. It's good. I just thank you so much. You're so generous with your time and your knowledge. Your work is incredible. I'm a fan. If anyone else is interested in seeing Betsy's work, you can do so by appointment. You can find her on her website at BetsyEvansCeramics.com or on Instagram, Betsy Evans Ceramic Artist. They failed to mention that during the talk. And she may or may not be open on second Saturdays, 12 to 5, which is when the Sawyer Yards is open. So think about that. And thanks for listening, Houston. I love you and appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.